Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury, and Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars jump into a passage of scripture for the edification of all and especially the equipping of those who are preparing any teaching or preaching on the passage in the uh, coming weeks and months. My guest this week is Leanne Ketchum. Leanne is an old friend of mine. Um, We've known each other for over a decade now, and she currently is a pastor on staff uh, in youth pastor, in fact, up in Canada, in Toronto at Kingsway Lambton United Church, and she's a ordained minister in the Wesleyan Church. She was involved in a church plant back in the day and has been in grad school more recently. She's doing a PhD in homiletics at Emmanuel College at the University of Toronto, and she is a great interpreter of scripture, a fantastic preacher, and one of the people I love opening scripture with, and so I wanted to give a chance for you guys to uh, hear what she has to say. And so this week, we're looking at uh, Luke chapter uh, 21 verses 5 through 20, uh, excuse me, 5 through 19, 5 through 19. So yeah, make sure to rate and review us as well as uh, share and subscribe to get the word out about the show. And with that said, we say enjoy the show. So our reading for this week is uh, Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19, getting this from the Revised Common Lectionary for the uh, 23rd week after Pentecost. So this is for the Sunday of 17th of November, 2019, the day after my birthday, fun fact. That's not important. Very fun fact. Yeah. So this is for year C, which is like, this is the sec- this is like the last second to last Sunday of year C. So we'll cycle back around to year A. Uh, two weeks after that. So do you want to, you want to read Luke 21, five through 19, or would you rather I read and you pray? Or do you want to read and I'll pray? I'm cool with either. I'll read and you pray. Okay. Hear the word of the Lord. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he. And the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all of this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify, so make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for Hmm. I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by, by parents and brothers, 
by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Well, let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this day which you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we give you thanks for this hour to which we have been sent with the opportunity, the task and gift of studying your word uh, for the sake of one another and for all those who listen in. Father, we dare to ask that you would illumine our minds and stir our hearts and awaken our whole selves, that we may be inspired and receptive to the word of God in our midst. And we dare to ask for the same thing for all those who listen in, that not just Leanne and I, but that all who listen across time and space might be illumined, not by what we say, but by your Holy Spirit, so that all of the words of our mouth and all the thoughts of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, we give you thanks as always for this moment, this present moment in which you yourself are present. Lord, even as we leverage our minds and experiences, may we be ever more attuned to your presence in every moment. We ask all these gifts in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So what's uh, interesting to you? What's uh, stirring your interest (laughs) as you uh, read this text? Mm, it's a really interesting text. And, um, you know, you mentioned the lectionary before and how it's, you know, the second to last Sunday uh, in, in year C. So this is right before Christ the King Sunday. So right before we're going to, you know, talk about the reign of Christ and mm-hmm. um, honor that truth um, that we, you know, believe and testify to and see in our midst that Jesus is Lord. We have a really funny text that's just like, super downer you know, <laughs> about all the all the terrible things that the disciples are going to experience um and there's a little bit of encouragement for sure but there's a lot of like less lovely things like nation against nation earthquakes famines <laughs> yeah so you will, it's, you will be persecuted you will be brought before <laughs> the rulers yeah yeah and i always think that like you know, texts that talk about persecution, you know, in my, in my mind, some like flags go up in my head of like, okay, what kind of persecution are we talking here? Uh, Cause I think mm-hmm. sometimes we can do an easy or what seems to be an easy one-to-one jump of like, oh yes, I too am persecuted. Um, and <laughs> because somebody said something mean about Christians. Right. right. <laughs> yes. Or like, you know, someone just was mean to me. So it must be about my faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so this passage, yeah, I just thought it, there's a lot here that um, is interesting, but probably that lectionary piece of prophesying the, the destruction of the temple and the end of things right before the Sunday where we will uh, celebrate Christ the King this Sunday. So I thought that was interesting. 
Yeah, let's let's camp on that a bit. We don't always, I mean, you know, a lot of our listeners are not wedded to the lectionary or even familiar with the lectionary. We 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 selected it early on just because we didn't want to select our texts arbitrarily uh based on our own interest. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh especially well, kind of so- makes it easier. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it was kind of, yeah, it was something that would cross, that would have some sort of cross-denominational possibility so that you don't even have to be into the lectionary to be interested in the texts that we're studying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but since you bring it up, and since I take it that maybe you do have some experience with the lectionary, are you kind of a little bit? Okay. I have a little bit. I've been in churches now for the last few years that have followed the lectionary, but I think, I'm trying to remember... I feel like a couple of years ago, I was at college church when it was just a big Christ King Sunday with mm-hmm. lots, lots of music, lots of song, lots of recounting, um, the the salvation history and honoring the reign of Christ. And yeah. college was reign of Christ service is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, kind so, of their uh, once a year kind of training in liturgical calendar. They kind of review the whole year and there's not a standalone sermon. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. It's very cool. So I think that was probably the most significant experience I've had with Christ the King Sunday. Otherwise, uh, you know, we talk about the reign of Christ and how Christ is on the throne <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with some very slow hymns. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's really interesting to think of that connection because, I mean, my brother, uh, Dave's going to be on for Christ the King passage. We're recording later this week. And mm-hmm. um, interestingly, though, the passage is the, the passage about uh, when he's on the cross and forgives the one yeah. uh, or not forgives, promises the paradise to the to the one and, and the other who's mocking him, the two thieves to his left and right. And yeah. Um, and so even there, you know, you've got a sort of juxtaposition of the reign mm-hmm. of Christ reigning from the cross. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm learning more and, and more. Reigning that, from a place of weakness yeah. um, and vulnerability, uh, which is much different than some pomp and circumstance. Yeah. So actually it makes this one seem even more kind of royal because, of course, he's talking about the signs that precede his yeah. coming as mm-hmm. a king reign. Um, so in some sense, it, it, even though, like you say, it's a downer, it, it, uh, it fits. Um, it's mm-hmm. also the fact that for his, um, if, if you just stay with the one category uh, in the lectionary, like if you just kind of preach the gospel text or preach the Old Testament text or whatever, the, it's often just very through a book, you know? So we've just mm-hmm. been last year, just this whole season. Yeah. And it's actually, I mean, there's almost been, except during the high seasons, you know, Easter and Lent, it's pretty much just been going straight through. And mm-hmm. the, the principle of selection is either, you know, particularly interesting or famous texts, as well as texts that only appear in Luke. There's a lot of bias towards that mm-hmm. because Matthew and Mark years, year uh, A and B, that way you don't have repetition. So it's like the Luke yeah. years. So I know you know all this, but some of our listeners no, might good. know throw it in right now. So in a way, yeah. this is just the natural combination. If you're going marching through Luke, you're going to have the last couple of weeks are him teaching in Jerusalem and mm-hmm. consistent across all the synoptic gospels is when he's in Jerusalem, he gives this apocalyptic sermon about mm-hmm. what's coming at the end. So we get kind of Luke's take on, on that end times preaching, but I'm yeah. with you. Not, I'm, I don't love this kind of stuff, but <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting. It's a really interesting passage. And I think there's a lot there and there's a lot 
a lot there with how apocalyptic kind of uh, proclamations from scripture have been used in preaching mm. over the years, perhaps not always for good. So I think it's an awesome pack passage for us really to sit with and wrestle with to think about how do you preach apocalyptic texts in a way that is faithful to um, original meaning, original understanding as best we can surmise, but then also to say, well, what does this mean for us today? And, and, and is there, <laughs> is there um, a sermon for us to, to preach from this that isn't um, like you, you know, joked at the beginning that isn't just uh, you know, someone said something mean to me because I'm a Christian. So I'm being persecuted which <laughs> is, can often be kind of where things can land if you're taking an easy, more, more literalist route. Yeah. So what are, what would be some insights or thoughts or questions about the text as it, as it stands before us, that would kind of help us to get attuned to that original meaning that isn't, you know, just reading into it from our own kind of world. I know that I was really with the, the thing you brought up earlier about the, the kinds of things that we perceive as persecution. I thought the, uh, the phrase for my name's sake, which I, I think was repeated. Mm. It's at least yeah, once. It's in verse 12. Yeah. Yeah. And then again in 17. So, yeah. you know, because of my name and mm-hmm. for my name's sake, I think that's, I don't know. I, I want to think through what that means. I mean, that can still become a little excuse, you know, again, if I'm being a jerk in Christ's yeah. name, and then people right. are mean to me. It might not be because of the Christ name part. <laughs> it might uh, just be because you're being a jerk. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah, it's, so it is twice um, on account mm-hmm. of my, because of my name. What does that yeah. mean in the context here of this passage? Why, what is this? Mm. What do you think Luke's trying to get at or Jesus is trying to get at in Luke's retelling to try to highlight what it means to be persecuted not for righteousness sake, which is the language mm-hmm. from the Sermon on the Mount, but because of me, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I think one thing that I was thinking about last night while I was um, doing some prep for this is that the word paradidomy uh, yeah. in um, 16, maybe there's more. Yes. Oh, there's well, it's twice. Well, it's in 16 where you'll be betrayed, but then also in 12 when you'll be handed over. Yeah. And Same you know, word. So I think that connects with that sense of because of my name, you know, that it, cause that's the same word that's used when Christ is handed over. That's um, right. And when he is betrayed. So not to, you know, draw some great extrapolation from that, but I, I do think it can link Christ's witness and, the experience of his suffering and death that we identify in that and that we have a sharing and a participation in that. No, I think that's, I don't know. I think that's beautiful. I mean, I'm willing to run with that little <laughs> word. Paradidomai. It's you. It's really frequent in the new Testament. Mm-hmm. That. And it's the word for tradition. Mm-hmm. So and again, forgive me if some of these are things that you already know, some of our listeners might not. So um, this is great. it's the word when, so when, when Paul talks about what I received and handed on to you, handed mm-hmm. on there is mm-hmm. or when tradition is used negatively, like, oh, you're believing in human traditions. It's the, it's the noun form of paradidomai. 
when Judas hands over Jesus or betrays, which is almost only translated betrays in persecution settings and Judas, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because in, sometimes in the same chapter, you'll get the same verb mm-hmm. translated handed over. <laughs> right. um, now, I'm not saying it isn't betray, but it's like, why is it that only Judas is yeah, the betray? Right? Yeah. Well, there's sort of the interpretive stance of um, reading in some some motivation there. (laughs) Judas hands over to the chief priests and the elders who then, same verb, hand over to Herod, who then hands Mm -hmm. over to Pilate, who then hands over to the crowd, who then hands over to the the soldiers. It's it's over and over Mm -hmm. and over and over. And then, strangely enough, it's used all in Paul, but it's usually God or Christ doing it. It's Mm -hmm. God handed them over to their desires, right, in chapter Mm -hmm. one of right. God, uh, and, and then uh, positively, he did not withhold, but handed over his son, Romans 8, mm. or Galatians uh, uh, 2, 20, where he says that Christ handed himself over for us, or in Ephesians mm. 5, for the church. Right? So, so it's this word yeah. that's like, used like for all these different meanings. Now, I'm not saying all of those meanings are, pa- that would be a fallacy to say all of those meanings are packed into this word. Right. But like you said, Noticing those other uses helps us to then experience this passage maybe differently, which Mm -hmm. is, this isn't just this war of good and evil, and Mm -hmm. we're on the team, and those evil people are handing us over. It is that, but it's more complex Mm -hmm. than that, because the one that we're following is Mm -hmm. one himself was handed over, and in fact, in reality, handed himself over. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, No one takes my life from me, but I give it of myself, you know? So this idea that the suffering here is not just on the one hand, it's not just any old suffering is persecution yeah. uh, it's for his name's sake. But on the other hand, it really is a suffering. It's not a, it's not a winning. It's not a, you know, triumphant sort of picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, if that, that riff that I just went on there, maybe you've had nothing to do with what you were getting at, but no, 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 it had everything to do with it. So I think that's, that's great. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. I'll be mulling. <laughs> Don't mull too much. It's, we're live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. uh, one thing I, I did have a question that um, is not related to that, but I'm sure we'll loop back oh, to ahead. the par- paradidomy. Um, why do you maybe. think the lectionary decided to loop or lop off this passage at verse 19 yeah. um, rather than continue on? What are your thoughts? Well, it's a monster text, the, the little apocalypse as it's referred to in Mark 13. And Luke and Matthew both have their versions. And so you basically are stuck with this problem of the text just being way too long to preach on. And so, I mean, I don't believe that. I think you can preach on much longer texts, but I think that's the basic. And so then you just got to pick something. And mm-hmm. I don't have it out right now. We could look it up if we wanted to later. But it'd be interesting to see if the if since Mark and Luke and Matthew all have this text, it may be that mm-hmm. Risecom Lectionary has chosen to take different portions from different so that over the course of three years you would get the full picture. I wouldn't count yeah. on it, but that kind of thing happens sometimes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there is this beautiful. I, I don't know about you, but I mean, there is this beautiful that has wider application that we may or may not get into by the end of the the hour here. But there is this beautiful passage, you know, in in uh, 13 uh, mm-hmm. and 14, 15, this, this notion of, you know, you don't have to have your defense all ready to go. Just trust yeah. that it'll come. So 
But uh, yeah, no, it's it's one of those tricky things where I'd love to to toy with that, and maybe maybe when we come back from the break, we might want to discuss how it fits into the larger logic of the whole chapter. Yeah, that's good. Uh, let's take let's take a quick break and maybe maybe come back to that along with other issues that might come up. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Leanne Ketchum, and we're looking at Luke chapter 21, uh, verses 5 through 19. And we just uh, brought up this, this question of, you know, why this particular selection? And again, I mean, in my view, when I am using a, a lectionary text, I usually try to consult what's coming before and after. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make sure it's not like, oh, it's just picking up at the next passage is next week, right? So then you leave it be, yeah. right? But if this is the only reading from the chapter in year C, which it is, um, then to me, I mean, my view is, well, if you want to preach anything from the chapter, that's totally uh, appropriate use of mm-hmm. the text. I think that it somehow should hold us there. So it seems to me that like there, when I took a Synoptic Gospels course, we were instructed to like, always what was the phrase you you, uh you do vertical reading and horizontal reading so vertical reading Mm. is when you're looking at a passage you want to look at it in its larger context which is i think the question that you're pressing us towards what's going Mm -hmm. on in the chapter of 21 and even the whole book of luke yeah and then the horizontally is comparing with matthew and mark so i have some thoughts about that so i want to maybe give you the lead on the vertical and do you might have some I'm guessing since you asked, you maybe glanced at some of these other texts around and they, they, yeah, I I glanced honestly more so at the things leading up to. So right before it, Jesus is looking at the temple and there are rich people putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And then he also sees a poor widow putting in two small copper Mm -hmm. coins and says that the widow has put in more than all the others because she gave out her poverty while they gave out of their wealth. So that seems fairly disconnected at like a first reading because then it's just fully shifts gears in verse five um, with some of his disciples who are also gazing at the temple, but who see something really different. (laughs) Instead of seeing the people or instead of seeing, you know, very characteristic to Luke, the rich and the poor, um, those who, you know, have, and those who do not have and, uh, instead of seeing those people, the disciples just see the building and uh, it's adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. Um, so maybe that's not so disconnected after all, um, yeah. pointing out that distinction between what Jesus sees when he looks at the temple versus what the disciples see when they look at it. As for everything that comes after after verse 19, uh I'm not entirely sure. I think you're right that the lectionary probably chose a smaller chunk. And our our passage does end with an encouragement, uh, a declaration of Christ's faithfulness, which I think is really helpful uh, for preaching, of course. Um, So I'm not entirely sure why why else uh, they would have cut it there, except for that, that the the passage as it stands for the lectionary does allow for a lot of good tension and good movement between sort of the challenges that people are going to be facing, but then also Christ's promises in the midst of that. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there could be a little bit of a – just to kind of push back on the lectionary a little bit. I mean, there could just be a little uh, spook factor of not having the guts to get into the Jerusalem battles mm-hmm. that are coming in the next passage. And, and you know, there is a history of problematic, at the least, uh, readings of these kinds of texts that get caught up in – looking for the exact battles. Whereas, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a more generic application of the material that comes before, whereas mm-hmm. 20 through 24 gets very much into the details of what's happening specifically in Jerusalem, which quite clearly seems in its original context to be talking about the, the destruction of the temple and, and the, the battles in AD 70, but can easily yeah. be turned into kind of all kinds of speculation and those sorts of things. Well, I think that's that's actually... I think that's actually really a helpful thing to have within the reading because when you put it in such a concrete way about the destruction of the temple, one of the um, books I was reading on, on the passage was saying that by the time that Luke had finished writing this, um, the destruction had probably already happened. Mm-hmm. So when people are reading this, they're not seeing this um, coming destruction or coming persecution as far off. It's in their rearview mirror. It's something that they already know. So this isn't a prophecy in the same way um, as like future coming, um, but it's it's something that they hear again and they say, yes, um, that that is true. We see the ruins of the temple. Um, so in some ways to have that, the specifics might actually help us. <laughs> yeah, I think so <laughs> not, too. Not move so quickly to um, our own persecution exactly. specifically. Exactly. And, and it's, uh, you know, it would have been the, it's the recollection of a prophecy um, after, after its fulfillment. And, you know, the fact that Mark is almost certainly written um, earlier and the fact that it has a lot of these things in here, we don't have to get stressed about like, oh, are they just making this up after it happened? Um, mm-hmm. And it can be this kind of, but it, it helps you sort of see it different when you think of the first hearers of this text. And the earliest hearers, you can even say the earliest, you don't have to talk about first, yeah. because within, you know, within a good uh, century after the destruction of the temple, perhaps even for centuries, the meaning of this passage as referring to this well-known event would have been pretty obvious. And it's easy for us to forget because it's not, you know, always on our minds, mm-hmm. how much of a traumatic event this would be for Jews and for, and for Christians who at this time were still intertwined in some way with the synagogue, even if they were beginning to separate. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and it connects back to the opening, which is all about the temple, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's not a reference to the temple with the stuff, but there is a reference to Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's verse 24. The trampling underfoot of Jerusalem is quite clearly linked to the destruction of the temple, which was the heart of the trauma of AD 70. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. this, it's open. It, the, the centrality of the temple in all this, I think is not irrelevant, you know? Yeah. And, and then your insight, I think is really important and it actually can link to, and we don't have to leave behind the, the vertical context, but just looking at the horizontal context real quick, it's actually, it's good to go back and forth as if they're not totally separated. Some of the subtle differences between Luke and, and the other gospels. Um, yeah fit perfectly with your hypothesis that this is coming in later and would be experienced in accordance with that. So for example, and, and uh, he says, where is it? It's in verse nine. 
Luke's got Jesus saying, and when you hear of wars and tumults versus Matthew and Mark, it's wars and rumors of wars. So even that's interesting, mm-hmm. but that's all I want to focus on. Do not be terrified. And they have, mm-hmm. do not be alarmed. That's not a huge difference. Luke just likes not using the same word over and over. So it might not be anything for this must take place. Okay. That's the same. This must come to be, but then Luke says this must come to be first. Okay. The Mm. word first does not appear in uh, Matthew and Mark. Okay. Mm -hmm. So already there, that's implying Luke is sort of extending the time period, maybe a little more than Matthew and Mark had in mind. You catch what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, These things have to happen first, but in a sequence of other events. Yeah. Whereas Matthew and Mark might, feel it a little bit more happening. Whoa, it's happening. These Mm -hmm. have to happen first. And then they say here, and now here's the kicker, but then they say, but the end is not yet is how Matthew Mark have it. Whereas Luke has, but the end not immediately. Right. Mm. Which I think is trying to say it's not immediate. It's going to be a while. And there's a, Mm -hmm. there's a a parable just uh, two chapters before in 19, where the introduction to the parable says, we didn't have this one. Uh, it wasn't in the lectionary, so I don't mind jumping to it anyway. But uh, Jesus told this parable for those who, as they were nearing Jerusalem, thought that the kingdom was going to come right away. Mm-hmm. Immediately. immediately. They thought it was going to come immediately. So it's clearly like Luke has it in mind that this was not only a belief at Jesus' time, but even in his own time, that people are expecting yeah. something immediate. So it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Again, this text is on its own. It's like all about this end timesy stuff. But mm-hmm. when you compare it with Matthew and Mark, I see in Luke a try a kind of trying to rein it in a little and say, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But even when you see these signs, that doesn't mean you can count that it's going to happen tomorrow. It could mm-hmm. still be a while. And then the phrase from 24 is just a clear yeah. kicker. Still the times of the nations are fulfilled. As if mm-hmm. this could be a while, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> gear up. Yeah. This could yeah. take a <laughs> Well, and I think that c- can connect with what you were talking about before with um, – the testimony, not, not, you know, building your own defense because it might be a bit. So so Ah. hold your horses and wait, (laughs) you know, wait for, um, I'm trying to find that verse. I just lost it. Oh yeah. 40, 14 settle in. Yeah. Thank you. Settle it. Therefore in your minds, not beforehand how to answer. Mm -hmm. So, cause you can almost imagine that as, uh, you know, people see or experience these things that Jesus prophesies and that they would ready a defense that they would say, okay, well now, now we get ready. Now we, now we build that defense, but Jesus ah. says, no, um, don't do that. I'll give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Oh, and now, so, I now. mean, there's a trust and, and, a um, and a call to a lived faith, you know, to, to do that rather than, um, to make their own defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, to not be building up all the time thinking this is our one moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really good to live your faith now to endure in the present because you don't know how long it's going to be. Right. Um, which interestingly is maybe a very different vibe than what you might first encounter when you read a text like this because, because of our tendency in churches to either, let me put it this way, most churches I've experienced either preach on these kinds of texts 
all the time looking for the signs and mm-hmm. the rest of the churches don't want to sound like them. And so we just avoid them. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah. so we, it actually takes a little bit of theological hermeneutical imagination to try to actually really get inside a text like this mm-hmm. and see that it might actually be counseling the very opposite of how we often take it, which is hurry, yeah. hurry. It's actually yeah. kind of a, get ready, get a, ready. <laughs> this is a hurry up and wait. This is a, this is a endurance passage. Um, yeah. Well, I wonder, and to I mean, emphasize God's faithfulness that, that through all of these things, through wars and uprisings, earthquakes, famines, nation against nation, betrayal of your family, mm-hmm. uh, being handed over to those in power, that Christ is one to be counted on. Not a hair of your head will perish. Endure, yeah. stand firm. Um, and in standing firm, the NIV says you will win life. Uh, the NRSV what was it? They said, by your endurance, you will gain your souls. So that might be an interesting verse for us to look at in terms of the Greek, if you want to bust out your Greek. Uh, yeah. Um, Already busted out. <laughs> your endurance or by your endurance. Yeah. Gain, attain, retain. Those all work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your, is, your, there, is there an imperative? You know, lives, souls, something like that. Nah, is there an a, imperative in that? Or I mean it's a it's a it's a future. Um yeah. Uh yeah. I was but, just trying to figure out why the NIV would translate it in an imperative how's the NIV have kind it? of way. They say stand firm and you will win life. <laughs> which is uh, interesting. <laughs> It is turning a promise into a command. Now, of course, all promises are hidden commands and all commands are hidden promises, right? So yeah. that's a, both grammatically true and theologically true, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know? So to say to someone, by your endurance, mm-hmm. uh, you will gain your life force, right? Your soul mm-hmm. is also implicitly an instruction, an invitation. Hey, endure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of separating the... There is a grammatically, there's no imperative here, but sort of logically, there's both yeah. a invitation to endure and a mm-hmm. promise that your endurance is the key to mm-hmm. um, gaining your life. Um, mm-hmm. But again, by framing it as a single sentence in the original, it puts the accent on the promise. Mm. You know? uh, so by splitting it into two phrases the way the NIV does there, it kind of makes it more of an equation like do this and you'll get that, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I think, I think it's important. semantics is correct. Even in the, in mm-hmm. the, in I, but, um, but the accent might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to like what we were talking about earlier to frame this endurance within um, our shared participation with Jesus, because otherwise it can sound like, you know, yeah. kind of finger waggy and just like, well, just endure this, you know, uh, um, uh-huh. like get it together and endure this. And that's how you're going to come out. All right. On the other end. But that's, I think it's one of those moments where we talk about Christian hope is different than hope for everything to be okay or to sort of come out on the other side of something with all those cliches that we might use 
everything happens for a reason (laughs) and all that and and endurance and Christian hope and enduring within Christ is very different than, you know, sort of getting down into our cellar and bomb shelter to just wait it out and to be so disconnected um, from the rest of the world while we do it. Yeah. This language of endurance, I think it's helpful to link it with the word hope. I don't believe the word hope appears in this passage, Um, but the Christian virtue of hope is what we think of as kind of the larger category for all future talk like this. And interestingly, this word for endurance here, hupomone, you know, appears throughout the epistles and is often found in conjunction with the word hope. So... Mm. I'm thinking of the famous passage. I wish I could quote it from memory. It's kind of almost there, you know? It's, you know, you have these little chapters from when you're a kid that are kind of yes. halfway there. But yeah, it's, it's from Romans 5, you know? Um, this actually really connects. Uh, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have Im- obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, Mm -hmm. uh, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, which is endurance. Same. It's the same. It's hupomone. Mm -hmm. Um, And endurance brings character and character hope, right? So there's that connection from endurance to hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. Now that's not, that's only one of many passages where hope and endurance Mm -hmm are linked and Mm -hmm. take this as a passage of hope. And I'm hearing you say hope is not just um, there's kind of the, the empty hope of, well, everything's terrible, but I'll get to escape and then everything will be great. Right. When I die or, or or the other kind terrible right now, but it's going to be great in like five minutes because Jesus is going to bless me with health, wealth, and prosperity for having endured this distress. Exactly. That's where I was going is there's those two extremes of kind of an escapist hope or uh, a sort of imminent kind of um, hope. And this kind of presses in another direction of the kind of endurance of, of being with actually sharing in the sufferings of Christ to use that kind of Pauline mm-hmm. link. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the Luke of this story who seems to have been a companion of Paul's during the wee passages of Acts. And he, there is a Luke referenced in Colossians, whether it's the same Luke as this is, to, is unknown. But if, you know, I mean, this guy's seen it embodied in a guy like Paul. So, I mean, these, these Pauline phrases are not immaterial to yeah. um, what it means to share in the sufferings of Christ, you know, which is such this mm-hmm. kind of Paul. I mean, taking that phrase as a kind of subterranean, interpretive frame for this whole passage as you keep doing today is I'm really <laughs> to it because it helps us to see not just sort of Christ, you know, sort of standing up above us, judging to see if we're being a good endurer, right? mm-hmm. one who is with us in the suffering and we are sharing in his own sufferings as well, his body. In his endurance, we find our endurance. Mm. Say more about that if you're willing. Well, in Christ's faithful walk to the cross, to the resurrection, to the ascension, mm-hmm. um, we that is the endurance in which we are sharing. It's not a, a godless yeah. endurance in which we are, you know, left in some endurance of which God has not shared um, God's own life with us. But 
and the endurance of the suffering of the cross um, and the endurance that then believers are invited to in this passage, we share in the life of Christ, um, meaning that we, sh- we share with God in that. So it's not, it's not ever just, a, yeah, an endurance that we do by ourselves or um, our wow. own in. That's so good. Cause I mean, it clicks with so many things in this passage. So verse 16 handed over back to that mm-hmm. delivered up betrayed by parents, brothers, kinsmen, and friends, right? I mean, he is betrayed by one of his inner circle of friends and was mm-hmm. at least during his lifetime rejected by his own brothers, right? Mm-hmm. As a crazy man. Or another thing that connects me to that Christ is 14 and 15, which we already talked about, but coming back to that now, and this is another place where the, the horizontal comparisons are helpful. I'll just point them out and then connect it. So I promise this is connected. <laughs> um, and I think this will lead us hopefully somewhere with, with some uh, sermon starters uh, after the break. But Luke's version of this 14 and 15 is importantly different from the Matthew and Mark version. So mm-hmm. Mark has it and, and Matthew's very close. So when they bring you to trial or deliver you up, do not be anxious beforehand how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say, or, but say whatever is giving to you in that hour. Mm. Okay. So the Matthew and Mark have it in this kind of, you'll just almost, it's got this more supernatural vibe to it, right? You'll just mm-hmm. be given to say, and again, it's in that hour. It has a lot more kind of immediacy to it. The immediate. Yeah. Energy. And notice it doesn't have the don't prepare before it just says, don't worry about it. You'll get the words. <laughs> Luke's is this very different, subtle, but different. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to prepare beforehand how to answer. So just determine. It's a lot lot more active. Make the decision. I'm not going to plan my response. For I will give you, notice not what to say, but I will give you a mouth and wisdom, (laughs) which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. It has a very... to, to use the parlance of our times, it really affirms the agency of the persecuted here in a way that doesn't yeah. come out in Mark and Matthew. Mark and Matthew's like, you're just going to be a mouthpiece. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> whereas Luke's a little bit more, no, I'm going to give you by the Holy Spirit, which is a reference. There's another reference to this in Luke in chapter 12, mm-hmm. 11, 12. Um, and there it says that the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what to say. So again, mm-hmm. not just You'll just get the words, but Holy Spirit's going to kind of teach you, which is, again, affirms the agency. Mm-hmm. A little. I'm not saying the others yeah. are wrong. It fits Luke's style to kind of emphasize, no, you're going to be given the resources you need to do what you need to do. You're still going to be doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll, you'll be able to stand uh, trial. You'll, you'll have what mm-hmm. it takes. Now, how did that connect? I know it did. Oh, oh, it makes <laughs> us a lot more like Jesus before his trial right? Who is filled with the Holy Spirit from his baptism, who, mm-hmm. who is guided by the Spirit to have this mouth and wisdom to be able to know what to say and not to say, but it's really him speaking. Whereas mm-hmm. Matthew and Mark place us, again, valid for what they want to do, but we're preaching on Luke today. So their, their emphasis is much more, you're, don't even worry because you're just, you're just going to be a conduit of the word of mm-hmm. God. Whereas the Luke conversion is a little bit more you, like Jesus, are going yeah. to 
be a speaker and you're going to bear witness mm-hmm. and you'll be given enough. So I feel like the picture painted, because mm-hmm. we don't, the picture in Matthew Mark doesn't look as much like Jesus's own trial. It looks more like a different experience that we have. Yeah. Whereas Luke's picture here is, and this, this again could be really good for preaching is to kind of identify mm-hmm. a, all the sort of key moments in this passage that actually are subtly uh, connect with Christ's own experience. Yeah. Uh, and that's very yeah. motivating. It makes me want to preach it in a way that I did not an hour ago. So thank you very much for that insight, Leanne. <laughs> I think it was a team effort. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that. Cause I think it, it helps frame persecution in a, in Christ's life, you know, and helps put some of those guardrails up that we had talked about early on mm-hmm. about, so we don't end up in other spaces. <laughs> persecution as participation yeah that's good yeah well let's take a quick break and come back and do some sermon starters sound good yeah and we're back welcome back to fresh text i'm your host john drury and i'm here with leanne ketchum and we are looking at Luke 21, verses, uh, let's see, 7 through 19. Luke 21, 7 through 19. And we've done some observing and interpreting and exegeting and discussing. And now the question is, uh, let's explore some sermon starters. Uh, where might we want to uh, run with this? How might we develop a sermon for our time on a text like this? Oof, yeah. Um, I'll just say it as a a personal sermon prep thing that I do is I usually try to start by naming where do I see God in this? Um, So what is God's action? Um, Because it can help keep my sermon about God and not Ah. uh, just about, it helps me stay uh, not just lost in Bible land and not spending all my time here um, in our context, thinking about what are the, what are the nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom? Um, but it, it helps propel me towards naming Christ in our presence now um, and seeing the gospel come to life for us today, for the hearers today. So that might be a question that we could we could uh, roll on. What do we see God doing in this? Um, what is God's action here? Yeah, the two things immediately come to mind, unless you wanted to listen one first. Um, is the it's often referred to as the the divine dei there's this this greek word dei it is necessary or it is fitting for something to take place and especially in luke but just in general in greek literature this often signals a kind of god working behind the scenes and that's in uh, verse 9 when you hear of wars and tumults do not be terrified for this must take place first it is necessary for these things to come to be first, okay? But not immediately the end. So that reference to, and then the right, you know, it goes for a couple of verses after that of just stuff that's going to happen, um, mm-hmm. all of it. And, and I think that phrase could apply to the whole thing through, right? That, yeah. that what we're enduring is precisely, I mean, there, it's like, I want to say, like earlier, we were talking about not all suffering is persecution. 
not all discomfort, I should say, mm-hmm. is persecution. On the flip side, all suffering is an opportunity uh, mm-hmm. to be attuned to God at work in the world, right? So there's a subtle mm-hmm. balance where you want to, it goes back to what you said earlier, how do you avoid the reduction to the particularity of that time or the reduction of the particularity mm-hmm. of our time, right? You were mentioning mm-hmm. And that has to yeah. do with a sort of God awareness in the passage that leads to a God awareness in our own lives. That's that mm-hmm. kind of. Um, so I wonder yeah. if, if, if it helps to think a little bit about what is it? Because, of course, the question you ask actually ends up being a troubling one, which is where is God in this passage? Well, he's all over it, but unnamed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's the one sort of allowing and or causing all this crazy mm-hmm. stuff to go down. So it's actually kind of a dangerous question. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. I mean, I do think what we talked about before with, um, with the, with the paradidomy, um, and all of that, that the, the suffering, the distress, these are not declarations of God's absence, but shared spaces of, um, Christ's life. So, you know, I think you could riff on that for a good bit about what is God doing, but promising God's own self in our own, in times of suffering, just as Christ was also encountering his own suffering. So that might be one option for naming where yeah. God is. Um, yeah, that was, also, the, and that was the second one was the specific actions of Christ in the story, mm-hmm. right? In verse yeah. 15, I will give you a mouth. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Not in Mark and Matthew. Mark and Matthew is passive. You know, say whatever is given to you in that hour, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't say yeah. giving it, right? And Luke, again, Luke, the, the, mass, the, the, the ascension theologian, right, mm-hmm. uh, uh, is sort of, and you even get a picture of him. I mean, in a way, mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. I mean, in many ways, this is already uh, mm-hmm. has its first fulfillment in Stephen. Mm-hmm. After mm-hmm. seven of Acts, he is given and talks about the grace of his mouth and his wisdom and filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. It's even the same language. I didn't think that. <laughs> and implicitly, they can't withstand or contradict it because they just have to kill him, which implies yeah. they didn't have any good arguments, right? They ran out of right. arguments. They just stone him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very, and remember, he has that vision of Christ standing at this next to, next to the Father at the, at mm-hmm. the right hand of the Father, sort of, and you get that sense of Jesus' own agency as the mm-hmm. one empowering through the spirit mm-hmm. so that that's sort of, you get this, you get this kind of universal hidden divine agency behind all the suffering. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you have the inspiring fact of Christ's own suffering that comes before. And then mm-hmm. you have this very specific divine action of the divine human Jesus empowering us in the moment of witness, you know, like mm-hmm. that's his, of intervention right other it's not he's not yeah. intervening to make the suffering going away he's intervening to give you wisdom mm-hmm. yeah yeah no that's I awesome else, but I, I wanted to finish that first thought of where god is in it maybe you had a more, another yeah. one on that you wanted to mention no i didn't i uh i will say i think one one question that a preacher will need to think about with this text is thinking about the context of their congregation and um, demographics of who, who makes up their congregation for the language of suffering and experiencing great distress being handed over. um, Mm -hmm. 
I think community, different communities would experience that in different ways. And so what I think it could be a great opportunity for a preacher to think more globally about um, the Christian church and the kind of suffering and distress that Christians experience across the world and through time um, to get a historical vision with it too. We have so many witnesses um, who have endured and it could be a really great opportunity to lift up those voices that we might not usually hear in our sermons. Uh, So yeah, that could just be a good opportunity to broaden the voices uh, within the sermon to include the, the lived testimonies of people who have endured, whether it's um, you know, lifting up stories of, of slavery and those who, who endured uh, through that. Um, I think of Corrie ten Boom, Nazi Germany. Uh, she has some, I think they're autobiographies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and her lived testimony of, of enduring through suffering. Um, and and finding God with her there. So those might just be some resources for us thinking more broadly about this too, that it doesn't have to just be our personal experiences either. Um, And to to raise our awareness for the whole Christian church and and the sufferings that a lot of people experience, because I think the the temptation with a passage like this is um, to say like, well, what persecution are we really experiencing? What, what persecution am, am I experiencing as a white woman in North America who has money and education and privilege and all of that? It can start to feel like I'm not experiencing any of these things, you know, so to raise up the, the voices of others as a way of encountering other people. Yeah. I think that's a good insight too, because that the temptation, once you recognize that the analogous suffering or persecution of our congregations, especially if they happen to be um, relatively privileged in the scheme of things, does tempt us to either kind of water down the passage and kind of turn my inconvenience into, (laughs) or my, you know, uh, yeah, any inconvenience into kind of some massive persecution or to kind of have a guilt trip that I'm not suffering and to go for it, (laughs) you know, by picking Jesus, you know, so to bring yeah. in to say we're a part of something larger is, mm-hmm. I think, a helpful perspective. I, I think that's good advice. And when we do that, then what does endurance mean for me as that white privileged woman in North America with access and education and all that? It means to join in solidarity with those who are suffering, to enter into their suffering as Christ entered into ours, to be one of a person who is witnessing their witness. Um, yeah you know, and, and to stand firm with them. And perhaps by doing so, we will all gain our soul, our life force. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. At the very um, least, not deliver them up. Yeah. <laughs> At the very <laughs> least. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's what implies to have solidarity means to maybe be yeah. questioning the quickness with which I am attribute um, bad motives or uh, laziness or whatever to mm-hmm. uh, those who suffer um, mm-hmm. to not see in them as see them as um, brother and sister. Yeah. No, that's, that's all very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering how to, I'm really, I'm really stuck uh, mm-hmm. as talk today. And again, it could just be morning rain, but like, I feel like there's this opportunity with this text to preach about a kind of endurance 
uh, that mm-hmm. hoopomene that has broad application, right? Yeah. That says maybe that, 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 that paints a picture. Here, here's, a, here's a version of the sermon I'm thinking of is do what you were just saying to kind of really survey both across time and across space the global church and the historic church and the persecutions that the church faces then and now um, stir up, you know, some pathos for that, right? Uh, <laughs> fight that solidarity. And then at some place, make the turn to say, to highlight the, the deep disgruntlement and displeasure that I can have in just having to wait in a long line. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, not to, not, I, I'm stuck because I'm wanting to preach a sermon that does apply directly to the individual in the pew, as it yeah. were, yeah, without, yeah. without uh, watering down the reality of, of real persecution. So one way to yeah. perhaps do that, not in a guilt trip way, but to make the turn and own it myself mm-hmm. instead of in a pointy finger pointing way, right. To own mm-hmm. it myself, say, the minor inconveniences that I face in my life, though they are not the great sufferings for the gospel that I might imagine mm-hmm. them to be, are nevertheless opportunities for me to practice the art of mm-hmm. endurance, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a time for me to remember the sufferings mm-hmm. that others face that are much greater than mine um, yeah. and to join with them as we all come to participate in the sufferings of Christ, not to valorize my little yeah. inconvenience as persecution. That's what I want to avoid. But I also want, don't want to just kind of let us off the hook and say, well, we're not persecuted, but other people are. So pray for them and and when you get a chance, like, well, and I think you, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't enjoy the temptation of letting our sermon be saying that some sufferings matter and other, other people's pain is not also valid. Um, So maybe you could frame it as a way from out of these stories of, of others um, endurance throughout history and um, throughout the global church pieces that you learn from them in how to endure uh-huh. in your present discomfort to, to hold other people's stories as authoritative in some way for you as a, as a place in which you see God um, that can speak to your own life to make that connection between the two so that it's not yeah, yeah. either their stories or my story matters. That's good. That's good. Um, that's good. But that all of our, all of our lives are places in which we find Christ's presence and, and we are, um, yeah, God doesn't uh, minimize any of our, any of our pain and suffering. And undoubtedly there will be people in your congregation who have likely experienced persecution uh, perhaps for their faith, but, you know, we can't say that it does not happen because it does and however form that might take. Um, but who have also perhaps even outside of persecution have experienced the collapse of their own family or yeah. who have experienced being handed over to an authority figure by someone else and being betrayed. There are going to be deep places of pain within the congregation that we need to acknowledge. And I think you, in stirring that pathos, um, you know, in sharing these stories, those can be points of connection to say that what another person has experienced in history can touch my life and can be a place where I see my own story as well. Yeah, that's really good. And I kind of feel like, and I, and I'm not ashamed of this one bit. 
kind of feel like we're giving a little homework assignment to our listeners if they happen to be preaching on this text soon. Basically, we're not saying, <laughs> oh, here's the specific story, right? We're saying, go look it up. Yeah. Um, but as a favor to them, then, I'm going to pitch what I'm sure you can't stand as a homiletician, uh, but uh, a quick three-point sermon and then say, <laughs> okay, guys, here's the three, not three points. They don't have to be literally these, but three things I'm seeing in the text. Mm-hmm. And then it gives a starting point for them doing that research of looking for stories that would really connect with our congregation from around the world and locally, right? Yeah. Um, so it's sort of like certain principles, principles of endurance, as it were, that apply in this text that would apply around the world and would apply for us. And the first is the, the verse eight, right? Take heed that you're not led astray. That's mm-hmm. kind of imperative, right? So the be aware and, and it's, and it's uh, you know, blepo here. It just means look, pay attention, be aware, be mm-hmm. mindful that you're especially susceptible of being misled when you're suffering. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to mm-hmm. come along and say, I'm the solution, yeah. right? So that has clear. That's a whole other sermon, <laughs> right? We didn't right? even go there. Now I'm feeling yeah. stupid like we should have. <laughs> But I mean, you know, to say when things are going crazy, that's when we're the most tempted for people with a messianic complex to stir our passions and attach us. And Christ says, don't run off with that because things are not over yet. They got to play out. Mm -hmm. So that was the first is that that taking heed that you're not led astray and maybe find a story that fits that well. The second is in 14, just in terms of like the instructions or invitations of the passage. Yeah. Yeah. Settling it in your minds to not be a defensive person, right? To let go of defensiveness, to to rather be trusting that trust, right? So we have yeah. be mindful, be trusting, and then uh, and then the last of nineteen, right? Your endurance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, be resilient because I think you could translate hupomone as resilience. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm then taking that as my kind of entry point, and again the, as the sermon unfolds, like I'm thinking of our of our listeners right now and saying, okay, yeah. there's things. And in honor of my uh, homiletical theorist, you know, it's more like, well, maybe you want a three point sermon, but you can start with these three ideas, start yeah. doing some, some snooping around for stories around the world and from history and mm-hmm. even in your own congregation and community. And yeah. if one of those really goes, then you just stick with that one. That, that mm-hmm. would probably what I would end up doing is not actually doing mm-hmm. that. But that gives a kind of nice starting point that keeps you anchored in the text. The the mindfulness. Yeah. Tools. So it's be my. What would I say? Be mindful. Be something. Be trusting. Yeah. Be resilient. Be I resilient. would, if I could tweak them just a tad. Do it, please. Um, yes, I would want to add on. Be mindful of of others in power, or or like in you know other voices, but voice would be, have that sense of someone with any sense of authority. Yes. And then the trusting, it would be, be trusting in God um, because yeah, it's not just you. trust generally, and then be resilient in your faith and in the that's living not, of your faith. That's just the, an addition, a clarification. <laughs> yeah. There you be go. Resilient. Although it doesn't quite have the same, uh, you know, uh, ringing of be mindful, be trusting, be resilient. Well, that's, but I mean, it's how you then expl- explicate it. You could still do yeah. the, you could still do the short version. Mm-hmm. Trusting in, in God, in Christ. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that it's Christ himself who promises to give the, I, th- I find that interesting. I think that yeah. links it more to his suffering. Like, Hey, yeah. I've been through this. I'll tell you what to say. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. I'll get, or I'll give you the wisdom so that you'll know what to say. He doesn't even say, I'll tell mm-hmm. you what to say. Cause I'll give you the wisdom. Yeah. 
You'll figure out what to say. Well, and it would be faith. Go ahead. It would be interesting to um, do a deep dive in Luke on the words that Jesus says when he is um, being betrayed and being, um, you know, before Pilate and all of that. What what are the what are the words and the wisdom? Interestingly, that Jesus says? very few. Which That's might kind of one of the themes, right? Yeah, which might say something um, for us. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we'll just go there, and maybe we can end with this because I think, in a way, him giving. It's like not that we have to follow his example like as like an exact copy, but it's right. precisely as though he has taken away from us the temptation to just try to say what the perfect thing to say. Right. By just to make our sh- own defense. It's like, you know, because he says when they come to arrest him, have you come with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? Mm-hmm. While I was with daily in the temple, did I lay hands on me? But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. So then they take him away. And mm-hmm. he says nothing until 67 mm-hmm. uh, where the Christ tell us, he says, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Mm-hmm. Are you the son and of then- God? He said, yes, I am. Um, <laughs> and later, are you the king of the Jews? As you say, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it. <laughs> the rest yeah. of the says are on the way to the cross after he's been punished. Yeah. Uh, which are also significant though. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you definitely have. Well, and then the words the on the cross, point. father, forgive them for they don't yeah. know what they're doing. And then to the robber, truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in yes. paradise into your hands. I commit my spirit yes. father. Um, That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was my first sermon idea about 40 minutes ago is to make <laughs> connections between. So that's the sort of second sermon pitch. Yeah. So this, the first sermon pitch is just uh, my like sort of An endurance. three point version of your bit about make sure you have some stories beyond our own experience. And mm-hmm. it was really this persecution as participation kind of notion yeah. and really go through one to one. And initially I was thinking one-to-one all the different things in here that connect with Christ's experience, but actually really zooming in even on 15, mm-hmm. uh, verse 15, I will give you a mouth of wisdom and, and then say, well, let's look at the one who's promising to give us wisdom. What wisdom did he embody? And yeah. then you could say, then you could make the turn to say, but how could we ever do this? And then you could tell the do the Stephen story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's clearly like modeled after yeah. you know, before the same Sanhedrin and everything just a year later. Right. Long this is mm-hmm. later, just to give a little bit of that sense of like, you know, and, and in a way it's kind of a funny kind of application. Cause I'm kind of saying, Hey, I'm not going to tell you exactly how to, how to face persecution because not even right. Jesus told you how to face it. He said, right. Trust that yeah. You will have the wisdom to know what to say and what not to say. Mm-hmm. Cause wisdom is as much about not saying as saying. Yeah. Well, and then if you did have, you know, a couple other stories of people who have uh, from more modern day, you know, to, to know what they said and didn't say, um, could be some neat connections from all the way through. Yeah. See, it all comes together. Somehow in an hour of discussion, something emerges, right? It's just the way maybe we'll trust that it was perhaps the Holy spirit giving us <laughs> a mouth and wisdom or perhaps not. Uh, perhaps. 
we're way off and I'm, we're just drinking the, our own Kool-Aid. Uh, I always get to the end of these and like at the end of these episodes and be like, yeah, I want to preach this text. You know, like I get excited. <laughs> That's good. I hope yeah. other people feel the same way. Cause I think what could easily, when you first read it in the lectionary, it's like, Oh goodness, this is like preaching on money, you know, or you're like, Oh man. <laughs> so it's I hope other my, people feel the same as you did. Um, that they come to the end of the episode and, and feel the excitement and joy of wanting to preach it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I understand if you don't feel the same way, but uh. <laughs> no, I I feel still lost in thought about how I would want to preach it. Um, yeah. So I wish we had like a you know ten minute part two in like five days because that will be about the time that I'll have a clearer sense for how I'd want to preach it. <laughs> well, this doesn't drop till mid November, so if something comes up, <laughs> and we'll record it and tack it on. <laughs> Um, fair enough fair enough so yeah <laughs> um cool 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 well thanks so much uh, leanne for taking the time to uh spend with us and spend with me and with all our listeners um thanks as always to eric fisher and toby shong and all the work they do to make this possible uh i could not do it without them in their production work thanks to tom adamson for uh supplying the and donating the uh theme music and thanks to you all our listeners Uh, for tuning in every week and feel free please to um, subscribe and share and rate and review and get the word out of what we're doing here we hope that it's a blessing to you Um, and with that said we say have a good preach and a great week bye bye